section four of the rover volume one number twenty three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the rover volume one number twenty three edited by seba smith and lawrence labrie section four getting over the difficulty by seba smith you can often get over the difficulty when you can't get over the river said my friend john van ben schoten why don't you begin your name with a sam said i it would give it more fullness and roundness a more musical sound i do like a full harmonious name i don't care what nation it belongs to only see how much better it would sound sam john van ben schoten i would make that little addition if i was you why that is my boy's name said my friend john van ben schoten you yankees are always one generation ahead of us hollanders wait till my boy grows up and he'll be just what you want but don't let us be disputing about names our disputes were always of the good-natured sort and generally confined to the relative advantages of yankee enterprise and dutch perseverance don't let us be disputing about names said he when you ought to be planning how to pay that note to-morrow you say your draft has come back protested and you have no other means of raising the money this was too true i had been in a perfect fever all the morning the return of the draft was most unexpected those of whom i had been accustomed to receive accommodations were out of town and the note in question would do me much injury by lying over as a last resort i had applied to my friend john van ben schoten for advice in the matter i tell you said john van ben schoten you can often get over the difficulty when you can't get over the river yes said i but how you can do most anything if you only know how well said he go into my counting-room and sit down a minute and i'll tell you how we went in and i took a seat in the shadiest corner near the window john before sitting down reached up over his desk and took down his long pipe he then opened a little drawer and filled his pipe with fine dry tobacco and pulling a lens out of his pocket he stepped into the sunshine to light it you don't need that glass said i you just hold your pipe in the sun and if it don't light in half a minute without the glass i'll engage to eat it there tis again said john van ben schoten you are always showing the yankee our fathers always lit their pipes with sunglasses and now you want to contrive some other way to do it if i knew i could light it in half the time without the glass still i would use the glass out of respect to my ancestors well come said i this isn't telling me how to get over the difficulty wait till i get my little steam engine a-going said john still holding the glass in the sun but haven't you any loco foco matches said i growing somewhat impatient no said john i never allow those new-fangled dangerous things to come into my counting-room but how do you get a fire when the sun don't shine said i i use a flint and steel said he the safest and surest way in the world at last the pipe began to burn and john with the utmost complacency sat down in his large armchair and began to smoke well now said i i suppose you are ready to open your mind upon this matter and tell me if you can contrive any plan to help me over this difficulty 
why yes said john you can oftentimes get over the difficulty when you can't get over the river did you ever know how peter van horn got married no said i well i'll tell you said john taking the pipe from his mouth and puffing out a cloud of smoke that almost concealed his head from my view oh now don't stop for any of your long yarns said i it is getting toward the close of business hours and it's very important that this business of mine should be attended to you yankees are always too impatient said john there's never anything lost by taking time to consider a matter it is driving the steamboat too fast and trying to go ahead of somebody else that makes her burst her boiler at that he put his pipe in his mouth and went to smoking again well come said i the sooner you begin to tell how peter van horn got married the sooner you'll get through with it i know it said he and if you won't interrupt me i'll go on yes says i a dutchman must always have his own way go ahead well then said john van van schoten throwing himself back in his chair and leisurely blowing the smoke in a long steady quiet roll from his mouth about a hundred years ago peter van horn lived at schenectady or near where schenectady now is for it was a kind of a wilderness place then you've been at schenectady haven't you no said i i never have well it is about fifteen or twenty miles from albany you've been at albany of course no i haven't said i not been at albany said john staring at me with rather an incredulous look then you haven't seen much of the world yet why no said i perhaps not a great deal on this side of it though i have seen something of the other side of it and a little of both ends john laughed and went on with his story peter van horn lived near schenectady on one of the little streams that empty into the mohawk his father was one of the first settlers in that region and the old gentleman brought up a nice family a fine set of hardy industrious fellows every one of them as steady as a mill-horse no wild oats they were men before they were boys the consequence was they picked up the money and always had a comfortable share of this world's goods well peter he grew up to be a smart young man and at last he got it into his head that he wanted to be married you know how tis young men nowadays are apt to get such notions into their heads and it was just so in old times i don't know as peter was to blame for that for there was living a little ways up the hill above his father's betsy van hayden a round rosy-cheeked blue-eyed girl as neat as a new pin and as smart as a steel trap every time peter saw her his feelings became more interested in her somehow he could not seem to keep his mind off of her sometimes when he was hoeing corn in the field the first thing he would know his father would call out to him peter what do you stand there leaning over your hoe handle for and then he would start and colour up to the eyes and go to work he knew he had been thinking of betsy van hayden but how long he had been standing still he couldn't tell at last things grew worse and worse and he found he couldn't live without betsy van hayden nohow so he went and popped the question to her and betsy said she was willing if mother was gals in them days were remarkably well brought up in comparison of what they are nowadays so after a while peter mustered up courage and enough to go and ask the old folks and the old folks after taking two days to consider of it said yes for why shouldn't they peter was one of the most industrious young men in the whole valley of the mohawk and now that the road was all open and plain before him peter was for hurrying ahead he didn't see any use at all in waiting betsy was for putting it off two months till she could get another web out of the loom but peter said no he didn't care a snap about another web they'd be married first and make the cloth afterward betsy at last yielded the point she said she did want to make up a few articles before they were married but she supposed they might get along without them so they finally fixed on thursday of the following week for the wedding the work of preparation was soon commenced and carried out 
in a liberal style everything requisite for a grand feast was collected cooked and arranged in apple pie order the guests were all invited and parson van brunt was engaged to be there precisely at three o'clock in order that they might get through the business and have supper out of the way in season for all to get home before dark thus far up to the evening before the wedding day everything looked fair and promising peter retired to bed early in the hope of getting a good night's rest but somehow or other he never was so restless in his life he shut his eyes with all his might and tried to think of sheep jumping over a wall but do all he could sleep wouldn't come before midnight the doors and windows began to rattle with a heavy wind peter got up and looked out it was dark and cloudy presently flashes of lightning were seen and heavy thunder came rolling from the clouds and echoing among the hills in half an hour more a heavy torrent of rain was beating upon the house it will soon be over thought peter and the air will be beautiful to-morrow as sweet as a rose what a fine day we shall have hour after hour passed away and the rain still came down in a flood peter could not sleep a wink all night he got up and walked the floor till daylight and when he looked out upon the roads and the fields the water was standing in every hollow and running down the hillsides and rivulets nine ten and eleven o'clock passed and still it rained peter had been up to mr van hayden's twice through the rain to see how affairs went on there the family looked rather sad but betsy said she had faith to believe that it would hold up before three o'clock and sure enough about twelve o'clock while the families were at dinner it did hold up and the clouds began to clear away about two o'clock the wedding guests began to assemble at mr van hayden's and the faces of all began to grow shorter and brighter all this time it had not entered peter's head or the heads of any of the rest of the company that there might be any difficulty in the way of parson van brunt's coming to their aid in completing the marriage ceremony they had all this time forgotten that they were on one side of the tom hennock stream and parson van brunt on the other that there was no bridge over the stream and that it was now so swollen by the flood and the current was so rapid that it was almost as much as a man's life was worth to attempt to cross it at the usual fording place or swim it on horseback at last about half-past two o'clock parson van brunt true to his promise was seen riding down the hill on the opposite side of the river and approaching the ford there he is said old mrs van hayden who had been upon the lookout for the last half-hour there's the dear good man now let us all take our seats and be quiet before he comes in while they were still lingering at the doors and windows and watching the parson as he came slowly down the hill he reached the bank of the river and stopped he sat upon his horse some minutes looking first upstream and then downstream and then he rode his horse a few rods up and down the bank and returned again to the ford what can he be waiting there for said peter sure he has seen the river often enough before that he needn't stand there so long to look at it i can tell you what the difficulty is said old mr van hayden the river is so high he can't get across the truth now fell like a flash upon the minds of the whole company do you think so said mr van horn i know so said mr van hayden you can see from here the water is up the bank two rods farther than it commonly is and must be as much as ten feet deep over the ford now what shall we do said old mrs van hayden the things will all be spoilt if we don't have the wedding to-day betsy began to turn a little pale peter took his hat and started off upon a quick walk toward the river and presently all the men folks followed him the women folks waited a little while and seeing parson van brunt still sitting on his horse upon the other side of the river without any attempt to cross they all put on their bonnets and followed the men when they got to the bank the reason of the parson's delay was as clear as preaching the little river was swollen to a mighty torrent and was rushing along its banks with the force and rapidity of a cataract the water had never been so high before since the neighbourhood had been settled and it was still rising 
to ford the river was impossible and to attempt to swim it on horseback was highly dangerous what shall we do said peter calling to the parson across the river well i think you will have to put it off two or three days till the river goes down said parson van brunn tell him we can't put it off said old mrs van Hayden, touching peter by the elbow for the pies and cakes and things will all be spoiled ask him if he don't think his horse can swim over said betsy in a half whisper standing the other side of peter peter again called to the parson told him what a disappointment it would be if he didn't get over and that it was the general opinion his horse could swim over with him if he would only try parson van brunt was devoted to the duties of his profession and ready to do anything even at the risk of his life for the good of his flock so he reined up his horse tightly gave him the whip and plunged into the stream the current was too rapid and powerful for the animal and horse and rider were carried downstream with fearful speed for about a dozen rods when they made out to land again on the same side from which they started all were now satisfied that the parson could not get over the river the experiment already made was attended with such fearful hazard as to preclude all thought of its repetition oh dear what shall we do said mrs van hayden was there ever anything so unlucky betsy sighed and peter bit his lips with vexation peter's mother all this while had not uttered a syllable she was a woman that never talked but she did up a great deal of deep thinking at last very much to the surprise of the whole company she spoke out loud and said it seems to me if parson van brunt can't get over the river he might get over difficulties somehow or other well how in the world can he do it said peter why you just take hold of betsy's hand said his mother and stand up here and let the parson marry you across the river this idea struck them all very favorably they didn't see why it couldn't be done peter again called to parson van brunt and stated to him the proposition and asked him if he thought there was anything in the law or in the bible that could go against the match if it was done in that way parson van brunt sat in a deep study about five minutes and then said he couldn't see anything in the way and told them they might stand up and take hold of hands when they had taken their proper positions and old mrs van hayden had put her handkerchief to her face to hide the tears that began to start from her eyes the parson read over in a loud and solemn tone the marriage ceremony and pronounced them man and wife peter then threw a couple of silver dollars across the river which parson van brunt gathered up and put in his pocket and then mounted his horse and started for home while the company upon the other side of the river returned to the house of mr van hayden to enjoy the wedding feast by this time john van ben schoten's pipe had gone out and he started to the window again with his lens to relight it well said i understand now how peter van horn got over his difficulty but i'll be hanged if i can see any clearer how i am going to get over mine none so blind as them that won't see said john turning to his desk and pulling out his old rusty yellow pocket-book he opened it and counted out the sum of money which i lacked there said he go and pay your note and remember you can sometimes get over the difficulty when you can't get over the river End of section four.